0: What is up, Baton Rouge, and welcome back to the Tiger Pride Podcast presented by 225 Magazine. I'm Mark Clements here, as always, with Jarrett Roser of TigerDetails.com. Back with our, I guess, last preseason, technically, edition of the podcast before we get into actual game week. We spent the past two weeks looking at um, breakdowns of the LSU offense followed by a breakdown of the LSU defense. There's been a ton of, um, I guess, breaking news or just news Worthy items in the past week or so. So let's kind of touch on those really quick. And then this episode, we'll get into um, a quick look at the special teams. And then we'll have a ton of season predictions for y'all that we can. Uh, I'll make sure I mark this down. We can come back and look at it at the end of the year and see how dumb or smart we look. So we last talked to y'all. Uh, we recorded on a Tuesday. And it was the first day of practice that, um, I guess the only day of practice, Lowell Narcisse and Justin McMillan were missing um and apparently assessing their futures with lsu which turned out a day or two later to be that they were both going to transfer um lowell is going to end up at mississippi gulf coast community college um and mcmillan is gonna has not announced where he's gonna go yet i would imagine somewhere where he can play immediately uh having graduated this summer and we kind of touched on our thoughts whenever this news first came out last week um but I, got to, I guess readdress it now that it's officially official. Um, just again, is I mean, <clears throat> in your mind, is, is this a big deal? Or I guess how, a better question is how big of a deal is this that lose two of your four quarterbacks that were quote-unquote competing for that job? It's not great, but I don't look at it as being that big
1: of a deal, partially probably because I'm not really surprised it played out the way it did. I would have been more surprised if both were on the roster than for neither to be on the roster. I thought there's a pretty good chance both transferred and that at least one would. And I know a lot of people are upset about the depth, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of excitement for the quarterbacks that are scheduled to come in for the next couple recruiting classes right now. And so the depth really becomes just an issue for this 2018 season and if you end up with injury issues, you don't typically. Most teams don't see their second quarterback necessarily, mm-hmm. and certainly few see their third. And when when they do, it's it's a it's not typically a good situation anyway. And so I think, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a little bit of um, uncertainty in the locker room yeah. uh, with regards to just some players that that maybe thought that Justin McMillan was the best choice but I think people are pretty supportive of Joe Burrow and so if everyone supports Joe Burrow as the quarterback which so far appears to Mm -hmm. um like that's not going to be an issue then maybe having like I said last week maybe having some of those additional question marks and candidates out of the way takes away from some of the the quick backlash from fans and other players to become controversial um along the way if if there's a few bad series or a bad game or two here or there
0: yeah I think you pretty much uh wrapped it up as as best as it needs to be said it's it's not a a huge issue this year I was a little more surprised to see uh Lowell transfer especially when there's all these talks about him having packages but I totally understand from his point of view having not played football really full-time in three years now he just wants to get some snaps under his belt and don't fault him for that um just to go to one of our comments really quick from our old boy, Dave Gladow on Twitter. Uh, he said talking about the quarterback topic, he said, um, tweeted at us in a perfect world. You need quote the man at quarterback, at least two QBs of the future and a guy you're com- comfortable with as a backup. So for LSU, the 19 class is super critical, but if you avoid in- injuries in 18, you'll be all right. And I think that sums it up pretty well. It's not a huge concern this year. They have Peter Parrish committed for next year's class. He was a four star dual threat guy. Um, who they seem pretty high on out of Alabama. Um, and then T.J. Finley in the year after that. He's going to – a big-bodied dude um, with apparently a strong arm. I haven't gotten to see him play in person, but um, they seem pretty pretty high on him. And then, Both good at football. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, but you also kind of touched on one of the directions I wanted to go next um, in the sense of some of the guys on the team supporting Justin McMillan and – thinking he may have been the guy and then I mean anytime there's a quarterback battle you're going to have certain guys lean one way and certain guys lean the other way and in the wake of the quarterbacks transferring and then that weekend Drake Davis being arrested and charged with second degree battery um, allegedly breaking an ex-girlfriend's rib and choking her texting her I might kill you just horrible things and there's been some back and forth over if those allegations were recanted or not at this point they were not and so i guess there's still a lot of information that needs to become um needs to come out from that situation uh, with drake and then we finally realized or came out what happened with ed ingram who's been suspended since early august Um, he was arrested and charged with two counts of aggravated sexual assault so just in the wake of all these things coming out in the span of a week less than a week um, the players had a, a players only meeting where apparently um, some of the leaders on the team have been pretty vocal, namely Devin White, John Battle, Foster Moro, those guys, um, I'm sure Rashard Lawrence. Just And you can kind of take those players-only meetings in a couple different directions. Some sort of discount them and say, "Ah, oh, it's just you know, kind of for show, just kind of a cheesy, like, okay, yeah, players-only meeting, but does it actually fix anything? A lot of former players have come out and said that they are pretty helpful, the players themselves – seem to think they got to air some laundry and just get everything out on the table before the season starts. Um, just from what you've either heard or just, I guess, and just in your general thoughts on, I guess not only players, only meetings in general, but just having this one right now before the season even starts, good, bad to get out of the way? Just your, your thoughts when you heard that that all went down?
1: It might have been necessary because it's been a real bad August in terms of potential distractions. You mentioned the... The two I don't remember if you mentioned Tyler Taylor's too, but there's been three right. arrest related suspensions already. There's been some some quarterback back and forth and a couple transfers and some injuries that they're having to deal with and um you know a, cu- a couple other things, I guess behind the scenes, just a lot going on that, if it's not addressed sooner than later, could cost you in. A much more meaningful way in a few weeks than just a little August embarrassment, and so I I look at you mentioned some of those guys. I look at the the leadership group that's on this team. When you mention a Foster, a Devin, uh, Richard Lawrence, Grady Williams, John Battle, Nick Brosette, uh, Garrett Brumfield, and the list goes on. I I look at a really strong leadership group of players on this team. And think that that is one of the biggest positives that they have. That if they're going to exceed some of these mediocre expectations their way, that it's going to rest on the leadership of those guys. And so I think we see a little bit of that at work, or at least you know they're trying to to put at work before things even get started. Because last season was a weird up and down, and they didn't really wake up. Um, for about a month into the season. And I think they're trying to avoid some of those early hiccups by getting everyone in line and on the same page, uh, a little sooner than later. So I, I don't criticize it. I think particularly with the way this August has gone, uh, it it might've been a necessity at this point.
0: I think it it definitely can't hurt to have, to have one of those and just kind of get some people all on the same page. Like we said, um, the last time they had one of these was after that Troy loss in in September last year. And they, don't know if this is a credit to the team meeting whatever but they ended up rattling off six wins in seven games including two in a row against ranked teams at Florida and uh against Auburn at home so um yeah you mentioned the the leaders on this team I think that's going to be a, a huge factor and Falster Morrow even said in one of his interviews after that he he thinks this is going to be or he would like it to be a thing they do a little more often just to kind of get the get the feel of the team and make sure there's nothing that's being kind of bundled up or not aired out but you know between the team they they're a family and they want everything to be um as tight and loose knit as possible uh, amongst those guys so we'll try to do a very awkward I guess transition into (laughs) this week's (laughs) episode going off of that um we had one more comment I want to get to and then we'll start talking about the special teams but on the on the defense uh twitter name at underscore big worm which I appreciate yeah
1: that's a nice reference yeah
0: um, he said, "Quote." Well, he referenced Jacoby Stevens and Todd Harris and um, some of these younger guys at the depth of safety. And he said, "Quote: Quality players on the bench. I think we've got, I think we've seen all we can out of John Battle. We got to let the young guys play. Um, and just wanted to get your quick thoughts on that. I again, I replied to him, and I think you're probably going to tend to agree. But then you just mentioned John Battle as one of these leaders. But I think having that guy back there in this secondary, maybe he's not." on paper or on, you know, athletically in the 40 times and your vertical, whatever, not as good as Jacoby Stevens or a Todd Harris or whatever. But I think having John Battle, just his experience, all the football he's seen as a fifth-year senior, that's invaluable to have in the secondary.
1: Yeah, I I think I mentioned a little bit last week with the defensive preview, watching some of those veterans like John Battle and even Ed Paris, who gets overlooked so much at this point despite being – um, pretty highly regarded when he was coming into lSU just watching some of their approach at practice and and the way they carry themselves in a lot of ways I think is something that maybe doesn't get seen as much as some of the uh, the bigger athletic plays that a Todd Harris or Jacoby Stevens or an Eric Monroe mm-hmm. uh, might put together but I think it's it's big for that defense particularly with Another young safety alongside him and Grant Delpit, who's incredibly talented, but is is still young. Uh, So I I think John Bata will be a a pretty big part of this offense throughout. I mean, defense throughout the season, even if some of those other younger guys get involved uh, more and more uh, as things progress in some different packages
0: yeah agreed and um, thank you all for your comments so feel free to leave more and we'll try to get to them um, in future episodes we're going to move on to the special teams now uh, just a couple of things to touch on really and it's I guess it's the main one is going to be the place kicker uh, they brought in Division 2 uh, from Assumption College his name's Cole Tracy uh, he led all of Division 2 last year with 27 field goals that's 27 of 29 that's a 93.1% uh, mark and he hit on all, all 67 extra points which is a good number just by comparison last year which we talked about ad nauseum was these <laughs> kickers and the battle between connor Culp and jack gonsolin Culp finished the year um taking a few more kicks he was 11 of 16 uh 68.8 percent and he missed three pats he was 20 of 23 gonsolin had his chances here and there he was 5 of 11 45.5 percent but he did nail all 20 pats and I mean, we just saw these two guys go back and forth. And we, and, and I know cult had some huge kicks in that Auburn game, which is a big part of them winning. Um, but the inconsistency throughout the year was just so frustrating uh, to watch. And just a position that you could tell – I mean, not only Kojo, but you could know, tell that no one was happy with. Um, and it almost became a mental game at that point. It was, they had already missed a few kicks, and it just sort of spiraled. Not having a special teams coordinator on the field to go talk to was another issue. Um which they've addressed now to so, uh, just, I mean, your thoughts on, on Cole, Tracy, I mean, he just feel harsh saying the bar is set pretty low, but I mean, the guys numbers look pretty good. And I mean, kicking is kicking. I don't care what what level you're on. If you make kicks, you can make kicks. Um, he's only going to have one year to play at LSU, but I think it's going to be an upgrade from what we saw last year on the field.
1: It should be. I, th- I think the transition was pretty interesting because, when it really came down to it and it was a talk of Cole, like are you the guy, the the speech was the typical cliche, you know, I was told I was going to come in here and have a chance yeah, and all that, yeah. but you could tell by just post-practice reports and after the first practice, Coach Orgeron comes out and the first thing he says is Cole Tracy, five for five, and every day was how good Cole Tracy was, was performing that there was no question who the guy was going to be. I don't, has he even mentioned no for
0: Godson Like whatsoever? I haven't,
1: you know, I have not heard it yeah. at any point. And so th- I think that was all interesting, but with the performance that we've heard about throughout camp, I, I mean, I think Cole Tracy was the dude. And after the way last season went fair enough, um, and there's a lot of reason to be positive, and you. But you mentioned the the aspect of you know if you can make a kick here, you can make a kick anywhere. Jack Gonsolin and Connor Culp are really that's, talented yeah, kickers. True. Was, they came in really highly regarded. We'd seen I'd seen both of them make some monster kicks yeah. uh, in high school games and in camp scenarios, and then things just kind of, especially at at the lower level. I mean, you see it in, at a professional level, but then especially at college and then that much more in high school, just the mental aspect, no matter how good somebody's Madden rating or uh, NCA rating might be or whatever, if they still had NCA, uh, there's a lot of mental aspect that has to go into it because these are still human beings. And I think that's what really got to those two guys last year is they started to catch some criticism and, and get inside their heads a little bit. And then it just could never really get right. Cause they they had kind of gotten to themselves mentally or let let a couple miscues get to themselves mentally and so I think just looking at demeanor Cole Tracy seems like he's able to handle that if that were to become the case and it very well may not so there's reason to be positive but I think regardless of what he did at Assumption or what he did in high school or what he did in camp you just have to always be kind of cautiously optimistic um and, and hope it plays out that way on saturdays in the fall
0: yeah that's that's a that's a really good point and i um obviously kicking in front of assumption college and versus tiger stadium is going to be two completely different atmospheres um and i i don't know this is necessarily going to be a quote-unquote strength i don't know he's going to be booting these 50s plus yarders and securing three points but I, I think i think is that knock on wood it'll be a um an improvement from last year to where, at the very least, it won't be a, a downfall um, of this team. And that's all you necessarily yeah, look I for mean,
1: from a kicker is to be able to make reasonable ones not miss extra points. You, you don't really talk about them that much unless they do something completely absurd and they're hitting from real deep distance, and then it's just such a benefit, or when it gets to become a problem like last year.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think if you could just consistently make those mid-range... I mean, I just either Comp, Culp or Gonsolin, one of the two. I mean, there would be 27-yarders you'd be sweating over, just not sure if they can get it in. So just um, hitting those mid-range ones and just being consistent with those will be, I think, more than enough. And then moving to the to the flip side of um, special teams and the returners, uh, last year the duties mainly fell, for kick returns at least, fell to, to Clyde Edwards, Hilaire. Um, I mean, nothing – nothing spectacular i mean the kick kickoffs nowadays is just so hard it's kind of a crap shoot anyway um he brought 13 out of the end zone for 247 yards um i mean i think he did a fine job i don't think he's any, i don't think he's any massive x-factor last year i was kind of pulling for dante jackson to get back there and see if he could surprise some people um with his with his track speed and I'm, I'm curious this year if they end up They must have put Clyde back there last year because they trusted his hands and he did it. We saw him do it at Catholic High and he was pretty electric, at at least for punt returns. At Catholic, I'm curious if they put him back there again, considering he's likely the starting running back, or if they're going to not risk injury and give it to some of the young guys. I mean, do you have any sort of prediction or outlook on who you'd at least who you'd want to see, who you'd like to see back there?
1: No, I mean, that's that's the biggest question mark to me is him being so much more involved in the backfield. Do they put him out there? as a kick returner because he and Jonathan Giles for kickoff and punt returns are two guys that really stood out to me as as kind of the first two top of mind and then if you trust Kerry Vincent's hands he's got pretty good speed and you maybe get him into that mix um Justin Jefferson another guy that kind of came to mind but Clyde and and Giles were were the two that really stood out to me um without really hearing much of of what they're looking at at this point i think we'll start to hear more in the next week yeah come out about how how those looks are shaping up but but those are those are two right off top of mind
0: yeah I don't, coach o hasn't said a ton on the returners i'm sure they're trying a bunch of different guys back there and they'll make a decision yeah like you said in the next week or so um punt returns i think dj Chark did it last year and he got a lot of critiques there were a few times where he was on that borderline of you know people always say put your feet on the ten and don't catch it if it's behind you, fair catch before you know whatever. Um, there was a couple of those that I think he he could have done better on, but I mean overall, he averaged uh, nearly eleven yards per return, which put him seventeenth overall in the country. He had two touchdowns, um, which behind Dante Pettis from Washington was was the most he had. Dante Pettis of Washington had four. Um, there's a big clump of people who had two, and he DJ was one of those. Obviously, that Auburn game was his play was was the game changer. And I guess just I mean another quick. I think we both kind of lean towards Giles being the guy going from one number seven to the other. I mean, again, this is kind of a we're just sort of stabbing in the dark here. They could come out next week and say somebody completely different. But I just think Giles, when you bring him in, you give him the number seven, and he seems to be one of the more trust trusted receivers. Um, I think he can – I mean, he'll be fine back there. We haven't really got to see how electric he can be with the ball in his hands. But by all accounts, I mean, he's got that number seven for a reason. So I I would think he'd be the guy to be back there for punts. Yeah, I agree. Just
1: as much as you look at speed and there might be some guys on the team faster than Giles, not that I think Giles is slow. Right. You want somebody reliable. And we've seen some some seasons past where – the fastest guy isn't the guy that gets put out there because if you can't rely on his hands to catch it um, and to make some smart decisions when you get backed up inside uh, the 10 in particular then none of that speed really matters and so Giles I think the expectation is that he's going to have a pretty good combination of those two things and I look at as as the front runner to be that guy Uh, again just kind of from my own assessment as, as we still wait for more information to come out of of practice.
0: Yeah. I think the next week or so as I get into actual game week, a lot of this stuff is going to kind of, um, unfold itself. But, um, now we're going to do a little bit, I guess you can call this fun. We're going to go, uh, this was tough. I don't this, know. I, it was tough for me too. I spent a good, it'll be fun for
1: everyone to make fun of us on Twitter. And oh I'm um, the,
0: yeah. I mean, in five months when we were looking back at the season and we come back to some of these numbers, I'm sure we're going to feel real smart. Um, We'll be sure to readdress that, but we're going to go by different um, numerical leaders for the team, predictions for this year. Some are going to be pretty obvious, but just want to hash them out anyway, just in case they aren't that obvious, then we'll come to find out. So, leading pastor, this is a big one, big question mark. <laughs> who, you, who you got?
1: Yeah, I was trying to think of like a good, yeah. like Garrett Brumfield joke or something, mm-hmm. but Joe Burrow, if, if it's not Joe Burrow, then something's gone poorly. Um, and so I look at Joe Burrow, and then I, I know you wanted to talk numbers. I didn't go intergalactic gaucho high at 3,600 or whatever he was projecting. But I think particularly when we saw what O and Ensminger were doing at the tail end of, um, of that season a couple years ago, I think he can exceed what Danny Etling and company did last year and maybe get up to 2850 or something. I, th- I think maybe some of those real low games where Danny had like 81 mm-hmm. uh, one night out, I don't think we necessarily see those. And so expecting about 200 a night is uh, on a-, a little bit above that on average is, is kind of what I'm expecting from, from them.
0: Yeah. So I'm pretty much in the same ballpark as you. I was – god, this is – so funny to look back at stats after the year because i mean and this is something you and i talked about and still kind of joke about is the danny etling is a good quarterback stuff i mean i'm looking at danny etling who led lsu to a whatever eight and five season whatever it was last year nine and five um so he finished the year 60 percent passing he had right um, right under 2500 yards 16 touchdowns two picks i mean a pretty the two picks especially a pretty good stat line Compare that to Jake Fromm, who led Georgia to the national championship and was, I mean, a play away, essentially, from possibly from winning that game. So Danny was 60%, Jake Fromm was 62.2. Danny finished with right under 2,500 yards. Jake Fromm finished with right over 2,600 yards. The biggest difference is right here with the touchdowns. Um, Danny only threw 16, Jake Fromm threw 24 danny threw only two ints jake Fromm threw seven so i mean you sacrifice a few touchdowns you gain back a few interceptions i kind of stuck joe burrow somewhere in the middle of those two i thought he could do a little better than what danny did last year he probably won't hit some of these touchdown numbers that jake Fromm hit um i put him at around 62 percent passing and I, you said 20 28 28 hundred yards i'm i put him at 2600 yards <clears throat> touchdown to interception ratio i'd put him at a roughly 20 touchdowns, five picks, probably a little more of each than what we saw from Danny. Um, but it's just, man, it's funny to look back on how much flack Danny got last year and how not bad he was at football.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with, with most of that. I definitely think when you say a little bit more in each of those big touchdown interception categories than Danny, I certainly think, I would be real surprised if there were only two interceptions thrown mm-hmm. by the starting quarterback for a second straight year. And I just, I want to see where some of those yards and touchdowns and interceptions come as well. Because if Joe Burrow goes out there and has a 450 yard, five touchdown, no interception game against Southeastern on September 8th and then has some. 85 or 90 yard games with a couple interceptions in sec play it doesn't really matter um for however that may end up looking in the long run so i i'm just really interested to see how things go once we get into that teeth of i mean really honestly october and the first weekend of november and see how that stretch of four games goes right at the heart of the season
0: yeah and we're gonna after we do this we're gonna go game by game and look at those um this season and see what we think but that's that four game stretch is going to be going to be huge <clears throat> leading rusher is actually pretty interesting because they've openly said it's going to be more of a running back by committee this year and you have <clears throat> nick Brissett is the the senior who is you know in on paper it's his time to take over you have claude edwards elair who's kind of been the guy leading the pack in the in the fall camp and then you add in freshman chris curry who by all accounts is, in, you know, baby beast mode trying to uh, make a name for himself his first year. Who do you have leading the way rushing at the end of the year?
1: I honestly, this is maybe it's the tough. toughest
0: of all of these categories
1: to me because I I was going to say I don't think we'll have like a, a breakaway guy like we had the last couple of years, but a couple of years ago you would have said, no question, it's Leonard, and then Leonard had some injury issues mm-hmm. and it became Darius. So – I don't know. I look at the three main guys potentially all being up in like a seven hundred to nine hundred yards yeah. yard range. I don't I don't know that I see any of them getting to a thousand this year. And I ended up I went Chris Curry Whew. I like it. With like eight hundred fifty maybe but I really I have no idea. And the reason I went Curry over Clyde is because I think we maybe see some of Clyde's production be on some little passes out of the backfield yeah. that kind of it's an extension of the run game, but in terms of actual rushing yards, um, that maybe he falls a little bit shy of Curry and or brosette.
0: See that it's oh, This is so hard. I had Curry written down, and then I scratched it out for Clyde, mainly because I just think this just freshman running backs can definitely have their impact. I just think it takes them a little bit longer to kind of adjust to the speed. And I think Curry will have some of those games where he gets six to eight carries and only finishes with 18 to 20 yards, you know, something like that. Just He just gets stuffed for, for whatever reason that night. And I just think Clyde is going to have a little more consistency his first year. I don't think the gap is going to be super huge between – all three of those guys I agree that no one gets a thousand which I was looking it up would be the first time since 2012 when LSU had it kind of had I mean they had Jeremy Hill and then they had a stacked group behind him Jeremy Hill finished with 755 yards that year in 2012 behind him was Kenny Hilliard Michael Ford Spencer Ware Alfred Blue I mean all guys that um made a name for themselves at LSU and a lot of them on the next level as well so I, I have Clyde leading the way um not going to steal Moscona's Catholic high yell but I'll I wanted to give a shout out to uh our good friend our good late friend Kevin Chillings he used to call us the the gnarly bears on Twitter yes uh, he did so I'm sure he's he's pleased to hear that uh miss that guy but um I put Clyde at around the 650 mark and a little bit lower than what you had around the 800 but I think I just think the Nick and Chris are going to be they're all going to be in that same general ballpark in my opinion that um I don't know maybe six to seven touchdowns for Clyde but I, I agree that I think a lot of those could be little swing passes little dink and dunks or screens um I know there was talks or I think coach O said they met up with um the Saints offensive staff to try to learn how they do their screens so I think you see a lot of the or try to implement some of that Alvin Kamara-type stuff into this offense with, with I th- Clyde.
1: I think that's going to be something big to watch for this offense. If this offense is going to be successful, I think a big part of it that we will see is the screen game come alive a little bit more than we've seen here in a long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, everything – I think the general consensus or the general thought is that Clyde is more of a that Alvin Kamara-type back just because he's smaller or you know shorter. He is pretty thick, but – that he's just more of a shifty not necessarily your, grinded up grinded up the middle you know downhill runner type type guy but the coaching staff seems to be kind of pushing against that saying that he can be a he can be a workhorse so um that'll be really interesting to see how they kind of divvy up the carries especially when they get later in the year and you get to some of these big sec matchups um where it's just a grind and i mean it may be one of those situations where you you play clyde and nick for the whole first half and you let Chris kind of, with his hard-nosed running style, try to be a, a bruiser at the end of the game. It, that, it's going to be an, an, a very interesting dynamic between all those running backs. And then you also have Baby Fournette and Tay Provens, who are just extra guys to watch out for. I don't think they're going to be in the competition of leading the team in, in rushes, but um, they'll be fun to watch. I've, and then so we we'll move on to, to leading receiver. And, God, <laughs> I struggle with this one too because – there's just so many guys. I mean, they say this is the most talented group on the field. And we talked about in the past about how just physically imposing guys like Jamar chases or, you know, Terrace Marshall just runs really clean routes and is really fluid with his motions. And Justin Jefferson is sneaky fast and can put a move on you. And then of course you have Jonathan Giles who has the number seven. I ended up settling with Giles being the leading receiver. I'm not going to say that I feel super confident in that. I think there's a lot of guys who could take this over um especially if you look at situations like if Giles is being locked down by other teams number one corners if you have some of these other guys step up but I ended up going with Giles um and I'm just I mean again there's just so many question marks in this offense so putting numbers on it is just sort of a stab in the dark um but I put him somewhere around the same area that Clyde was in the 750, 750 yard mark with five touchdowns um I try to compare him a little bit to what DJ Chart did last year, but I don't think quite as productive. So, yeah, I went with Giles, but, again, like I said, I don't feel super-duper confident in that one. Yeah, I feel pretty similarly. I think Giles is the safest bet. I think
1: we probably see some – we might see some bigger games from the other guys, just breakout games here and there by Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Terrace Marshall Jr., maybe – that we see those guys lead the way in some games. But I think Giles is the safest bet to be the steadiest over the course of the entire season. And I look at him in that same sort of range, about between 700 and 850 mm-hmm. um, somewhere in there.
0: We're going to flip sides of the ball and look at, the, I mean, these we will kind of go a little quicker through these, but these seem <laughs> pretty obvious on all counts uh, leading sacks. Um, who'd you have? Put Caleb on at yeah. Eight and a half? Eight and a half? Yeah. Oh, so I went nine. Yep. So we're in the, we're in the same ballpark. Um, just for a record, he only had two last year. And for those comparing him to Arden Key, Arden Key had twelve his sophomore year, which was a massive year. I don't think, I don't think Chase is quite where. Well, I don't think he's quite where Arden Key is in terms of a pass rusher. I think he's gonna have a really really good year and eight and a half or nine sacks is nothing at all to scoff at. Probably the easiest question that I'm gonna ask you. All day is who's gonna be LSU's leading tackler. I I went
1: Devin White a little
0: <laughs> above where he was
1: last year, at about one hundred forty tackles. Get off that limb, man. <laughs> so you put the so one difference I we might had, have
0: one hundred forty five. You, you you the only difference we had is you put him a little more. I put him a, slightly under that total he had last year, only because I think he's got a little more work around him this year. The bet I'd, that being said, one hundred and whether he finishes with one thirty or one forty, it's just stupid amount to tackle, so um, dude's going to be a stud. And leading INTs?
1: I wrote down Calvin Joseph. Ooh, so, I like
0: it. I like it. So
1: maybe this wasn't as as clear-cut. I think Greedy Williams is certainly the guy that, after his six interceptions last year, you look at as as being the favorite to, to do it this year. I just wonder if particularly with some of the the uncertainty on that other side. If teams don't try to attack that a little bit more and stay away from greedy, maybe they learned their lesson a little bit last year. And so if that's the case, I think whoever is on that opposite corner is going to have some opportunities. And I think the corner group and the secondary as a whole is really good and has the opportunity to make the most of those. And so I won't be surprised if kelvin joseph or somebody ends up with five interceptions and so that's i wrote down fat with five
0: see i like that i like that a lot i put greedy i took the easy way out and i put greedy. i don't think he'll get to where he was last year for the same reasons that you just said they won't he won't get thrown to as much i have him at four um but i would love to see i would love to see freshman kelvin joseph um lead the way there let's stay on defense real quick and talk about the defensive player of the year for lsu and that's Obviously it's but who do you think is going to be the, the guy? Um, I think they have one at,
1: at every level with Rashard Lawrence, Devin White, and Greedy Williams. And I put Devin, though, in the middle of everything. Yeah. You can't quite keep away from him as well as, as a Greedy trying to throw to the other side of the field. And so I, I just think as he's continued to learn his position that much more year in and year out, that he's going to continue to progress and have another phenomenal year.
0: And then, uh, yeah, I put put Devin White uh, as well. Um, If I'm going to give you a cop-out and say a 1A would be Rashard Lawrence, I think, like you mentioned, it's it's easy to throw away from greedy. But I just think Lawrence, even if it's not stat-wise, just like we saw last year when he had to miss some games, his impact is just immense on this defense. And I think it's going to be the same this year. He could have a monster year. But I'm going to officially say Devin White. Offensive, I struggle with a little bit more just because, like we talked about for the past three weeks or whatever, there's just so many question marks and how it's going to look, who is going to emerge. I put, ended up going with Joe Burrow just because I think LG fans are so thirsty for a good quarterback, and we've had, um, we've seen good running backs come through here. We've seen some stud receivers come through here. I think they're just so thirsty for a good quarterback that when they see if Joe Burrow can be Hmm. the guy um, then he'll end up being a, a guy that a lot of LG fans are calling the player of the year.
1: Here's if you can see who I have written as my offensive MVP yeah, right I see there.
0: A, I see a blank, a blank line. Yeah. I,
1: <laughs> I don't know. I just, right now, I, I don't know how much confidence I have in that offense. And I don't know that I look at any one guy being the standout in whatever success they do have if Joe Burrow comes out and throws for a little more than Danny Etling did last year and maybe two or three more touchdowns, but five more interceptions after all the criticism Danny Etling took, how much are you going to look at him and be like, that dude, that was the dude this year. And how hypocritical is that going to look? And then I think we, we talked about the running backs and wide receivers are going to look, I think so evenly matched and, and some ups and downs from some different guys involved so in terms of I've, honestly I try to think of an offensive line and I was like can I say Sadiq or Damian yeah, Lewis or yeah, something? You can. but I, <laughs> I guess pancakes. I look at Jonathan Giles probably as being as being maybe as safe a bet as anyone but it's just I, I think there's there's a handful or more of 5 to 10 guys that you could look at and say you know they have a chance to mm-hmm. to be a pretty big part of this offense and I just have a really tough time differentiating right now
0: yeah, I don't want you to think that I am feeling super confident that Joe is going to be the player of the year. I am just at I, I nationally. to nationally somebody. I mean, the high school player <laughs> of the year is what I meant. Um, so let's do biggest surprise, which is also kind of subjective. Just a guy that you think, pick one on offense, one on defense. Um, just a guy you think is a little more under the radar who is going to surprise people who maybe we're not talking about quite as much. And by the end of the year, just be like, okay, yeah, this guy really really made his mark my one on offense is a guy that you and i have sort of talked about but i don't think is getting quite as much love as he's gonna give you production on the field and that's justin jefferson offensively um it was really interesting to hear your take on when you see him at at these camps and stuff and how he doesn't look like he's gonna he's gonna be a stud receiver and then he puts a move on you and all of a sudden he's taken taken to the house um I think we'll have some some big plays in games where you may not be expect. you know, you may be looking for your your freak show, Jamar Chase, or your old reliable Jonathan Giles or something, and um, I think Justin's going to come through big.
1: Yeah, I think Justin is a guy that came to mind. I think he's an interesting one. I think in a, you know, looking at that, that offensive line to Damian Lewis, I don't know if you can say that he's going to be a surprise because he's garnered a lot of praise so far but he's a he's a guy they haven't seen do it in purple and gold I think he's going to be a positive on the offensive front and I think as much as we look at Clyde as as the guy in the backfield that we talk about the most and how excited people are about Chris Curry particularly after some of O's comments this weekend about how well he ran between the tackles I think Nick Brosette a guy that's just kind of been, been there and been in the the background uh, most of his career, I think he's going to have a really nice season for them too. And so I, I guess if I'm taking one since, since you said Justin Jefferson and and since Damien has, has gotten so much attention, uh, I I look at maybe Nick Brosette as, as being a bigger surprise uh, to, to write down and mention.
0: Just personally, I would love to see Nick be that guy and have him a breakout year and kind of all this—I uh, don't know if it's criticisms, but just kind of being overlooked a little bit. Would love to see him break out defensively. I thought about this one for a while because I think there's a number of ways you can go, but I just think there's so many guys in this defense who get so much love, and we always talk about—I mean, for and rightfully so—Devin White and Greedy and Rashard and some of the safeties that are super talented, um, and then you—you <clears throat> you know, Brayden Vehoco and Ed, Ed Alexander. It's all these guys who have gotten. A lot of love, and I think one guy that's somewhat overlooked a lot is Michael Divinity, and he's in lock lock down one of those outside linebacker roles. And he, you know, when you're playing next to Devin White and Jacob Phillips and guy, your teammates are claiming he's going to break the sack record and Caleb on It's hard to get your name out there and get a little get some love, but I think he's going to be super reliable, um, make a ton of plays defensively, and I just think he's going to be a guy by the by the end of the year He's just going to be a rock on that on that uh, outside linebacker spot.
1: Yeah, that's who I wrote down. I think whoever's on the opposite side from Caleb was going to be interesting and whoever's on the opposite side from Rashard Lawrence mm-hmm. uh, with their hand actually down was going to be interesting. And I look at Mike Divinity kind of similarly to what we were talking about with Nick Brosette, where he's been a guy that's been there, he's been involved, but he's been – just kind of in the background more often than not behind some other guys doing some bigger things and we've heard his name a lot from Orgeron throughout camp Mm -hmm. but also I've heard beyond that that there's a lot to that and and that that's one of the comments to to really put a lot of stock in is is that he looks about as good as he's ever looked and so I think Mike Divinity has um, has a really good opportunity to to be a standout on this defense this year
0: yeah, I'm really excited to see him. Um, next category we have uh, is position or player that's under the most pressure this year, which I don't know if head coach is a, pl- a position. Oh, you, you <laughs> stole my thunder. No, I'll, I'll let you take I didn't put head coach. You you go. go head on. coach. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I think there will be a lot of pressure – I think there's going to be different types of pressure on each side of the ball. The defense is going to have the pressure of really having to carry this thing, in my opinion, particularly early on. But I think the defense has the potential to be really good. The offense, I think is, is going to have to surprise me a little bit because I have some concerns about that side of the ball and not to like at the risk of making puns on pressure. I think a lot of that starts up front and then, how much trouble they have protecting Joe Barrow and what he can do, um, under some duress in some spots and, and in some situations where they really need some big plays. But I think my biggest take on this whole season is a much bigger picture. And I look at, uh, at Orgeron with a lot of pressure on him. We saw how quickly things turned on him last September and, this this year is is going to have some opportunities to either exceed some expectations and and really solidify things going in the right direction or to to get a little awry um in a hurry
0: yeah i totally agree um i think there is not a position that's under more pressure than than cojo's spot as head coach i'll let you have that one and i'm i went joe burrow again um not by any fault of his own, but, you know, you, he is at LSU now and with the quarterback – well, this perceived quarterback woes that the team has had for the past however long. And everyone is just already claiming Joe to be this uh, amazing quarterback, which he very well might be. It's just We just don't know. But I, I just feel like there's there's so much riding on, on Joe's back um, transferring from Ohio State that it's just – just hope he's ready for it because he's, he's going to get critiqued and – I would hate to see that first game if he comes out and his stat line isn't isn't pretty strong because people are going to start already dogging him and everyone's favorite favorite position in Baton Rouge is the backup quarterback. So um, I put Joe. And I want to talk a little bit more. We're about to go through the game by game and give our season predictions. And then we'll kind of wrap up and look at um, what you were just talking about with Coach O and the just sort of the, the ride this season could potentially be in, in either direction. But before we go into game by game, just real quick, is there one game, the one game you circled that is that is for whatever reason you can give your reason, but one game you circled as the most important? The I just schedule, the biggest. I just think at a lot of a lot of phases along the way,
1: I think that Miami game is a really interesting start, and then two weeks later to have to go to Auburn, I think how those first three games go um is is going to be kind of telling or at least a, a big foundation for how the rest of the season goes and then and then shoot, you just have the two weeks and then suddenly you get into that four game gauntlet where I think they're all so important that I I honestly I have a difficult time because of where this team looks to be to me, to say just one, because I think there's going to be so many toss-ups. But I guess that Auburn game, just because that's kind of like a a fork in the road moment to me uh, before you get, get to Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, and Alabama to kind of see where you are and see what your mentality and mindset and chemistry are. I think right there we can look at at that being a point where they can say, "Okay, well, let's build on this," or you look at them and say,
0: "Uh-oh, this could get ugly quick." The Auburn Auburn was probably my number two, and it's it's kind of a lame answer because it's the first game. But Miami, I think, is just such a big game, and not because it's the next one. Not none of that player talk. Like, oh, the biggest game is the next one. No, Miami's the biggest game to me because with all the negativity that's come that's come out the past two weeks with the quarterbacks transferring and. Um, the trouble off the field and uh, the question marks at all these different positions. And just it just seems like the general vibe and the general feel around the program is trending downward, that if you open the season up on the, a national stage on the only game that's on Sunday night against a top-ten team and you not only lose, but if you don't look good at least, um, the wheels will come off this thing a lot faster than any of us saw coming – um, and then you mentioned that Auburn in Week Three. If you, I mean, if you start the season one and two, it's it's Baton Rouge is not a patient city. People <laughs> are gonna be calling for Coach O's head real real quick. Um, so I think you've got to come out in that Miami game. And I mean, I want to say you have to get a win. I don't. I, it's really silly to call it a must win, but I think you have to, at the very 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 least, which is a bad bar to set. You have to look promising, show the fans that there's you're building something here um, rather than just more of the same. Um, So I think I'm saying the Miami game, but now we're going to go through the schedule game by game and see what our official predictions are. Next week we'll go delve into Miami um, in in greater detail. But just to start, who do you have winning that LSU-Miami game?
1: I'm going to give LSU the benefit of the doubt right now based primarily off the strength of the LSU defense I think that game could be kind of one of those clunky, awkward games to watch where the defenses kind of control things and people are pulling their hair out a little bit yeah. uh, at the LSU offense, but that the defense uh, kind of saves
0: saves things for them. I tend to agree. I'm going to give LSU the win. Um, I'm just not super sold on Malik Razier. He had... a some really awesome games Miami's quarterback some really bad games and they closed the season out last year not looking very strong um he turned the ball over a lot he had 14 interceptions um but they also passed the ball a lot so I mean it, that'll be a good obviously a good benchmark but I do think LSU gets the win I think that defense is really strong and then we'll see what happens with the offense um I think we'll, we're we could both safe to say southeastern will be a win you would hope you would uh, hope uh, yeah, I look at that being a win. At Auburn in week three, <clears throat> so I'm not I'm not quite as sold on Auburn as people nationally tend to be. Uh, I think Jared Stidham is, is really good. They lost on Johnson. They lost Cameron Petway. They do return uh, Ryan Davis, who broke their single-season school record with 84 receptions, and they returned a lot of pieces of that really, really good defense. And we saw a lot of flashes from Auburn last year. I I don't think it'll be quite as good of a team as they had last year. That said, I don't think LSU goes on the road week three at Auburn and and finds a way to win that game. They shouldn't have won the game this past year in Tiger Stadium. Um, I think it'll probably be closer than whatever the spread ends up being for this game, but I I don't think they go on the road and get that win. That Auburn team, community, et cetera, has had this one –
1: Circle oh, yeah. a little bit for 11 months now, or at this point, 11 months, and yeah, I think that that's one that Auburn probably gets a little bit of revenge from from that comeback that LSU pulled on them in Tiger Stadium last year.
0: I think we can both pencil in La Tech as a win. You would hope.
1: <laughs> hey, shout out Louisiana Tech, though
0: they they have low key put together a pretty solid roster. They have for a few years now. If you uh. Upset alert. Question you
1: you, mark? you were asking me about like which game could be a Troy, maybe La Tech. If if one is if one is going to be a quote unquote Tro- Troy, um, La Tech would probably be it because of the other non-conference games. Miami is too highly regarded to be considered that. I don't see it being Southeastern, and I don't see it being Rice. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think LSU wins that. That would just be the one that if no, yeah, they were right. going to suffer that type of a upset it would be that weekend and yeah. uh my guys up in rustin are r- real pleased with uh with me at least giving him that that publicity i
0: guess yeah no i uh i agree i think lots i, I do think they get the win also but i, I agree if there's going to be one of those troy type games it's going to be um I don't think Ole Miss has much to worry about. I know it's an SEC game, but that team, that program is kind of in a, in a crapshoot at the moment. Um, Do you foresee any, any issues with the Ole Miss game?
1: No, I, I think that they, that LSU should be okay against Ole Miss. And if they're not knowing what looms the next, or four out of the next five weeks, the next four games, uh, gets to be real concerning, but Yeah, I I think I look at them being in a good spot at at least I I don't I wouldn't say three and two would be a good spot but at least three and two and and probably four and one uh, by the time they hit October
0: and the the, I agree and I think the good thing about if you're four and one when you hit this stretch is it you're at least still playing for something if if you yeah the four and one is so much better than, than three and two to me I think three and two you're already looking at Knowing you're not going to come out of these, this next four game gauntlet with four straight wins, or, you know, I wouldn't. You can't think so realistically. So I think four and one, you still have a lot to play for. You can still get pretty hyped, and if you can pull off a couple wins here and there, you're looking looking good. But this is the brutal stretch of the schedule. So just four in a row, real quick. You go at Florida, you have Georgia and Mississippi State at home, and back to back weeks. Then the bye week before uh, Alabama, also at home. Um. oh boy uh, so I have <laughs> I guess let's go kind of one at a time at Florida I think Florida's in like a somewhat similar type boat as LSU I think they are going to have a lot of guys re- have a really good defense a lot of guys that you can rely on in that defense I think the offense is still kind of up in the air and what does Dan Mullen want to do in his first year over there um, I mean the quarterback battle of Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask both didn't haven't won that job outright, and the one guy that does scare me is Jordan Scarlett. I think he's an awesome running back, and he tore LSU up last time he was in Tiger Stadium. they um, have this one, I have the word "coin flip" written down. I, I, I just don't know, man. I just don't know. I
1: think it's going to be. And you mention it some. I think it's going to be one of those kind of ugly LSU Florida games where you don't have a lot of faith in either offense and one of them is just going to have to make another play or not make another mistake um, against a solid defense. I lean toward Florida because of it being in Florida. Um, I think, I don't, I guess I tip my hand a little bit here but I think of those four games that LSU is gonna have some real problems, but find a way to get one. Uh, and I think Florida has a really good chance of being that one. But if I have to pick, just looking at that game, I I go with the Gators.
0: Oh, that's that one's to me. That one's even harder to pick than I think. Ole Miss. I mean, I'm probably jumping the gun here, but I I think we both probably gonna have losses written down for Georgia and Alabama. And so I had, Correct. and so, and so I had Florida and, and and State as I kind of coin flipped. And I guess when you look at it on just on paper and logically, the the road game would be the one they lose, and the home game is the one they win. But I almost think it might be the opposite. I almost think they go to the swamp and pull off a dumb win that they have so many times before, and then find a way to to mess it up against State at home, um, who's going to be a, a really good team. So I'll just go, I'll just do the opposite of what I think you are going to say. I am. Yep. I'm going to the, give them a win on the road at Florida, but I think they find a way to, to – not find a way. State's going to be a really, really good team. I don't know why I'm saying it like that. They have a ton of guys coming back. Um, let's just skip over Georgia because I think they, we, that's probably not going to be a win. Although I will say well, – we'll, we'll get to that later. We'll get, we'll get <laughs> to that later. That'll be, that'll be at the end. Uh, looking at State real quick, new head coach Joe Moorhead. Um, obviously Nick Fitzgerald comes back. That dude's a baller. And you have a few guys out of Louisiana, which is going to make make it sting even even more if they find a way to pull off the win in Tiger Stadium. But Stephen Gidry, a former LSU commit, um, Devontae Jason, Louisiana guy, um, both receivers that they think they're going to rely on a lot. And then Aris Williams was a 1,000-yard rusher from last year, and he's going to be good. But then that defense is just going to be nasty. Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat, both studs. Um their top two tacklers are both back: Mark McLaurin and Jonathan Abram. Uh, that mm, it's Mississippi State, so it's you always just kind of foresee them finding a way to not fulfill their preseason hype when they have it. But uh, this team could be one of the better state teams in a while.
1: Yeah, and that's why i i I think this is going to be a really difficult game. But I think similarly to last year. Uh, Auburn's shortcomings being just a little bit of additional fuel for this year's Auburn team. I think how badly LSU played against Mississippi State uh, last year that they they come back and want to kind of write some of that and just the fact that it's it's at home. I I give this the nod for the Tigers to to get the win on. Homecoming, which I'm sure the Bulldogs will be talking about, the fact that they're the homecoming game. Yeah. Um. I give them the nod in this one rather than the the Florida one. You, you certainly, you know, living in Baton Rouge, you hope
0: that they get one of those four. Um, but that's what I was going to address next. Is so? They, will they have the bye? Then they have Alabama, which is going to be a win. Then they have an- <laughs> no. But if they have Oh boy! If they have this four-game stretch, and if they if they somehow lose all four, I mean, even if they, even if you start five and zero, if you lose four straight, I don't, like it doesn't matter what what you did before, really. It's you know what have you done for me lately type deal. Even if you start start five and zero, having four straight losses in a span of five weeks is gonna that's gonna put a bad taste in a lot of uh, LSU fans' mouths. And I mean, do you? Let's say, they, let's say, just for the hypothetical, let's say they start 5-0 and and they get these four straight losses. How how hot does Coach O's seat get despite three, two of these teams being top five teams and State right now is a top 15 team, could possibly be a top 10 team by then? Is that – I mean, do you – I know a lot has to unfold. We have to see how the games go and all that kind of stuff. But do you – I mean, is that – how critical do you get of Coach O if you if you lose four straight games, even despite the caliber of opponent?
1: Some of it'll just depend on how it goes. If you go out there and you get rocked a lot often, versus if you go out there and and you lose some close games to each of these teams, if you if you play all those games really tough but you just fall a little bit short, I think it it looks a lot different. The perception is a lot different. Um, but yeah, I think, I think a four game skid either way would get, it would, it would get pretty critical, um, around, around here of coach O and, and the program, but the degree of, um, of defeat or whatever, I think will factor largely into the degree of, uh, of criticism and yeah. how hot the seat gets and all of those things.
0: How do you think they close with uh, Arkansas on the road, Rice at home, a and on the road?
1: And these, these last two sec games in particular, I think some of that hinges on just where they are in the season and how they're reacting to that. It's, it's hard to, for me to look at this team as uncertain as it is. And as, as poorly as I think it could go in some spots and say, oh, they're going to go beat an Arkansas team that right now I think they're better than. For a preseason prediction, I do think that they go up to Arkansas and get a win, but I guess a lot of it to me is, let's see how October goes, because if if the mentality and the the air about the team has gotten pretty negative in the course of those games, then they could very well go up there and drop that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's what worries me. I mean, is you haven't seen that as much from – the coach O's season and I guess a half that he had, he's gotten his teams to bounce back from losses pretty well. Um, so I don't see the wheel. That's just you know one of the critiques of Wes Miles is once they lost that Bama game, it was just kind of downhill, and that's why a lot of times those Arkansas games slipped away because Arkansas was ready to go, LSU was still down thinking about that Bama loss. Um, you think they uh, they beat Jimbo his first year here in A and M? That's. Same sort of deal.
1: Um, I really, now that we're, I guess, to the end of the road, I look at that seven and five prediction that a lot of people are pegging this team at as being a pretty likely outcome to me at this point. And so, with my predictions thus far, they are sitting at four losses. And so, maybe they go to Texas a and, and finally drop one, uh, which won't go over well. Texas A&M is going to be. Uh, particularly on the recruiting trail, one of the biggest thorns in LSU's side in years to come. Uh, but that's another one that I think is such a toss-up, and it's it's sitting there three months away, three plus months away right now.
0: Still a ton to unfold. Uh, I totally agree that in the next three to five years, A and M is going to be a massive thorn in LSU's side, especially like you said, recruiting. and there's just so much money at A&M that that program is going to be on the rise, I think. Although I don't think that happens this year. I still, I mean, until LSU's won what five, six straight against A&M, something like that, since they, since I joined the conference. In
1: my mind, they've never lost to a and I don't
0: know if they have since they joined the SEC. But
1: oh, I just meant ever. Oh, ever in. The but yeah, of no, ever. they
0: <laughs> they they have not beaten
1: LSU since the uh, since joining the SEC
0: until they do i'm just going to keep picking lsu to win which i that'll probably happen in the next couple of years just because math but um you mentioned that 7 and 5 mark i i have them one game better i have them at 8 and 4 um i think the season has a very easy possibility to turn to 6 and 6 or 7 and 5 i think there's a couple of those coin flip games that could absolutely go either way and just knowing lsu likely to not likely not unlikely that they could mess up uh, one of these games that we have penciled in as a win at the moment. But I guess overall, if you if you go through the the regular season and you finish eight and four, then you've got let's just pencil, let's let's give, let's give them a bowl win and finish them at nine and four. That is a whole different outlook from the season than if they finish seven and five and then go to a bowl game and get a loss and finish seven and six. And so I guess the question I'll ask to go off of that is. What is a really early prediction without having seen the team play this year or whatsoever? What benchmark, what win mark is Coach O safe? What win mark is he not safe? Or do you think he's going to get a year three barring a total and complete meltdown? That's tough because
1: I think similarly to what I was saying with October and how hot the seat gets, or October and early November, how hot the seat gets just – the way it goes is going to is going to play a big factor. Um, man, I I no, don't know. That's no. going to be an interesting storyline to watch throughout the season. We saw how hot things got with a couple of losses last year. I think there are ways that this team could end up um, could end up eight and five, and it it not feel like that negative of a season Mm -hmm. overall but I think there are also ways that that they get there where um where you're criticizing a lot very quickly um that's and I I don't know I get so so weird about coach firing things because Mm -hmm. I think we have a tendency to forget the like the human aspect and like that we're predicting a dude to get fired and like his like the like head of a family to now be without a job or whatever which granted they make millions of dollars and so it's a little bit different than if uh you you lost your job and we weren't gonna know who's gonna feed those two pups at home but um
0: gotta have their gotta have their treats (laughs)
1: um i don't know man this this is a weird season to me um
0: have they all been the past like four or whatever I mean yeah you and I kind of joked about it the other day but it's we you know we had the season of less getting fired but JK not getting fired then we had less actually getting fired then we had coach O interim we had coach O full-time you had Matt Canada on his way out now you have Steve Insminger in now coach O's on the hot I mean there hasn't just been a normal just like routine LSU football season in five years at least yeah it
1: sounds weird to say but I almost feel like whatever negativity they deal with in the wins and losses column they have to they have to be sprinkled out so that you don't that's have too say. much momentum get built so if you start five and0 oh and then suddenly lose four straight, that's gonna be a lot more difficult I think to manage at that point than if they if they win one or two of those games in in October, but um, but maybe suffer a little bit more, lose to lose to Miami, but shake back and beat Auburn, and then have a better October than maybe we're expecting, mm-hmm. but then end up losing to A and because I think once things start to snowball, just as much as you don't want administrators to base their decisions off of public opinion when it's stuff like that. It happens. It it gets tough
0: because it gets tough to block all that out because it gets heated quickly. Yeah. I was going to say that exact same thing. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, Because the losses last year were relatively spread out. The one – I mean, you had State and Troy. That's two losses in in three games, which that that was kind of ugly. But then managing to bounce back and win three straight, get the one Bama loss, win three more straight. And then you close the season with the, the loss to Notre Dame. But they're overall, those losses are pretty spread out. If you, like we've been saying, if you go through that October and you get, if you somehow lose four straight games, that's that's going to be really hard to recover from. So we're already over, well, fairly well over the hour mark. But I wanted to close. Oh and, wow! Yeah, it's football season, man. It's exciting. Let's. Uh, I did wanted to ask, out of the games that you or we predicted wins and losses for which which game has the biggest possibility of LSU to be upset I guess you kind of mentioned that La Tech game but um yeah
1: to me I just I don't know what you look at for them right now as where they'll be in terms of who's an upset um because I think if if you get to October and people expect LSU to beat Florida or Mississippi State then you have to look at those as as being games that are more of a toss up to me than anything else. But if you're looking, if you're talking about a shocking quote unquote, I think you texted me like something like Troy yeah. or whatever, I think Louisiana tech is the one you look at for a team that no one's really going to give a chance. But I think Louisiana tech is, is a lot better than people like to give them credit for. Um, again, I don't expect that to be a loss, but I guess that's, that's yeah, why yeah, you yeah. mentioned them in this topic, this topic in particular.
0: See, I, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm leaning more towards like a, like an Arkansas or, um, I, it's hard to even call Florida like an upset if, because yeah, it, it's I, gonna be so close. I mean, I, if that even counts. But I don't look
1: at, I don't know. I guess Arkansas. You say regardless of how some things are going at that point, LSU should be the favorite right now, but. When I look at where I see LSU entering this season, I have a difficult time looking at any SEC games other than maybe Ole Miss and mm-hmm. saying LSU should win that, yes. and it's they're a favorite, and it's not an SEC game. And it's
0: not relatively close. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's not quite the same as when you expect LSU and Alabama to decide the conference and no one else should touch them. Sort of year, um, I think LSU is going to have to play its ass off to to get wins in in any conference game, pretty much.
0: Yeah. And so I guess the, the last one was which games out of the ones that we're pretty confident they're going to lose would give them the best possibility to possibly pull off an upset. That's what I was started to talk about earlier with Georgia when I when I said, however. uh, I mean, again, this is not that I'm predicting they're going to win, but I think if there was a game, they could sneak that they aren't supposed to win quote unquote. I think it could be that Georgia one. Um, They do return Jake Fromm, but they lose eight players on their defense. That was really good last year. Um, And then having to come to tiger stadium, there's still a little bit of magic in that building every now and then. Um, So there's one, I don't see him beating Alabama. you know, whatsoever. Um, I think Georgia at home could get interesting and fun if yeah. this team wakes up for it.
1: Yeah, I think my answer is, is pretty similar on the flip side of what I was just saying, where I don't, I don't know what Vegas will say come October, November about the Florida game, the Mississippi State game, the Texas A&M game. I think those are games that are pretty toss-up to me, and I wouldn't be surprised if LSU wins or loses any of them. But as far as a real outlier, one that would really surprise a lot of people, Georgia and Alabama are two teams I don't think anybody, for the most part, expects LSU to win. And I think Georgia making the rare trip to Baton Rouge mm-hmm. and a relatively young quarterback and replacing the two workhorses in the backfield and some of those keys on defense and, and all of those things that uh, that maybe LSU could put, could put something together and... Um, and surprise a lot of people. And so that's kind of the reverse Troy game to me a little bit.
0: So one thing's for sure. um, We may have no clue what we're talking about, but I feel like nobody really does at this point in LSU. And it'll be another um, really exciting season, just in the sense of we don't know what's going to happen or how this team's going to look. And so there'll be a ton to digest and break down um, after the Troy game. uh, sorry, Troy game. After the Miami game, um, (laughs) we'll spend (laughs) – well, it's been next week looking at that Miami game and seeing uh, we both gave LSU the early win at this point in our predictions, but we'll look at uh, different position breakdowns and matchups to watch and all that all that good stuff. Um, do you want to give a shout to Tiger Details and what you got coming up?
1: Tiger Details, pretty similarly to what I said last mm-hmm. week, I guess. Just keep up with a lot of build up to the season. Um, we have a few kind of – I think you're going to be interesting and fun, a little bit different breakdowns, kind of like preseason and particularly that Miami game analysis heading in, um, and so I I know I'm looking forward to a couple of these these items, and I think they'll be they'll be pretty insightful as as the trip to the DFW fast approaches.
0: Trip to the DFW, we'll both be there. Um, And we'll bring you all the analysis afterwards. That'll wrap up this episode of the Tiger Pride Podcast presented by 225 Magazine. Make sure you go to TigerDetails.com. Get your subscriptions in before the season starts so you can get caught up on all your LSU football before, during, and after the season. You can follow us also on um, social media, uh, Facebook.com slash 225Magazine. On Instagram and Twitter at 225Baton Rouge. And us personally, I'm on Twitter at MarkClements225. He's at Jared Roser. We'll see y'all next week.